This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome in, my friends, to another episode of Behind the Pen. My name is Mike Rankin, and I am your host for today's show. And unlike last week, Sean Anderson and Ricky Widmer took over Behind the Pen for me because I was in sunny Florida getting some sun away from the Chicago nasty weather and the muggy conditions. But it was a lot of fun. I want to thank them for covering me last week. Hope you guys enjoyed that show. They provided a lot of good content. But I'm back, and I'm going to show you guys how it's done and why it's my show. And Behind the Pen is awesome, as always. But first, before I get into the plethora of topics that I have on tap for today's show, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our Patreon page. If you could become a patron of ours, that would be fantastic. It'll be in the description below. What you do is, you know, pledge a dollar a month. You know, that'd be great for us to become better for you and then in doing so you are rewarded with exclusive content only for your ears so if you choose to do that that's that's awesome thank you very much if not you'll still be able to get behind the pen and all the other awesome most valuable podcast content out there but anyway before i get started as always i would like to get into some news around all of the sports realm before i get into the topics that i have on hand in the nhl The San Jose Sharks are in the Stanley Cup for the first time in franchise history, so congratulations, San Jose Sharks fans. I hope you are happy with the team that they have this year. It's going to be a good one. They're awaiting the winner of Penguins Lightning, and they're playing tonight as I record this podcast, May 26th. Those two teams are playing in Game 7. What a series it's been so far. I'm personally rooting for the Lightning, but whoever wins that, it doesn't really affect me because my Hawks lost in the first round, so... I'm just happy the Blues got eliminated. So good job, San Jose. Looking forward to the Stanley Cup. It should be a good one. And that's about enough hockey I got. That's it. That's about it. Anyway, all right. Moving on to the NBA. NBA playoffs have been pretty shocking to me, honestly. Going in, I figured it would just be an automatic foregone conclusion that each Eastern and Western Conference Finals would be Spurs, Warriors, and Cavs, Heat. The hate and the Spurs got eliminated. And now it looks like OKC might even eliminate the juggernaut Golden State Warriors, the 73 win franchise or NBA wins leader in history. They're about to be knocked out. OKC's up three to one. And you know what? I'm not entirely surprised because they've come up with a game plan to stop Steph Curry. And it's unbelievable to watch Russell Westbrook. Go in, take control, score score 30 a night, absolutely dominate in the second half every single game. And then you have a compliment of Kevin Durant next to you who can just be the guy for you if Russell Westbrook struggles. And then they have consistent down or front court presence on defense. They're able to shut down Draymond Green. They're forced to take ugly looks. It's just what they're doing in OKC right now is... It's a lot of fun, and I, I don't know. I was all for Golden State, and you know, a lot of people aren't going to take them until they get. You know, they're not going to pick against them until they get eliminated. But I don't know. I really like OKC right now. I think they they got to be the favorite. You know, three games to one over. You know, the seventy. Oh man, this this is un uh, unexpected to say the least. And then in the East, we have Cleveland up on Toronto, three games to two. Cleveland looked like they were unstoppable, sweeping through. Two subpar playoff teams, you know, to say the least. But 
They they run into a little challenge here in Toronto. Toronto's putting up a good fight. Um, I'm still picking Cleveland. I know, I know, I'm going out on a limb. That's a crazy pick, picking Cleveland here. But I think it's just going to be Cleveland and then whatever happens in the West in the NBA Finals. So that'll be fun. We'll keep an eye on it. If you want more conversation in the NBA, you got to keep it to Most Valuable Podcast because Ricky and Sean do a great job of breaking down each matchup and talking about the playoff series more in depth. So stay tuned here. you got everything you need. In the NFL, I want to talk about the Buffalo Bills, some headlines going on there, and it's not good stuff because their first-round pick, Shaq Lawson, needs shoulder surgery, and he might be out for the better part of the season. Well, maybe, maybe halfway, more than half. So that sucks. And, you know, Shaq Lawson, he was a guy the Bears were targeting, and a lot of people were hoping that he would follow the Bears, but... Good thing he didn't, you know, because we we have uh, Leonard Floyd in the first round, which I'm excited about, who looks very exciting or, you know, looks pretty good so far. And then uh, on top of that, Sammy Watson, (laughs) Sammy Watson, Sammy Watkins needs foot surgery. So he's going to miss the preseason. I don't know if that'll be a big deal, but, you know, it still sucks seeing your best wide receiver getting hurt and having to miss time. So keep an eye on that there. It sucks for the Bills right now, you know. But I still think they'll be a good team. Elsewhere, I saw this today, and it was kind of interesting. And it was Devin Hester, who I believe is going to be a future Hall of Famer, the greatest kick returner of all time. He kind of commented on the changes, and he said that because of the changes, the NFL is taking jobs away from people. And if you haven't heard, kick returns are pretty much gone, I would say, because, I mean, the NFL is doing its thing to try and prevent injury and they I guess the study's shown that a lot of injury well we've seen it in the past we saw that guy from the Bills get paralyzed on on a freaking kickoff and guys getting lit up constantly blindside blocks and all that stuff so they're trying to eliminate most of it but what, what they're doing now is they're first kicking the ball off at the 35 yard line which almost guarantees almost every single kickoff through the back of the end zone because kickers have you know, strong legs this year, but you know, now that could, what they would do is pop kick it and they would just strategically place kicks. I don't know more, whatever special team stuff will happen there. But if you touch back, it comes out to the 25 yard line instead of the 20. So that'll totally change the dynamic of kickoff returns. And Devin Hester's pissed about it. He says he's, uh, you know, taking away jobs from people. So, well, that's your Devin Hester highlight <laughs> headline of the day. So interesting, I guess. Kind of kind of cool. So I just wanted to bring that up. All right. Well, that was around the league for you. Before I get into the topics, it was just quick, quick, just a summation of what's going on as I record this podcast. But what do I have on tap for today? Boy, whenever I get a chance to hit on the bulls and kind of bitch about them, I'm going to take that chance and opportunity because once again, the Bulls are showing their underskirts on how they run their organization. Joakim Noah, a guy, yeah, his value has diminished over the years, last two seasons, has pretty much said that he's not coming back to the Bulls. And his reason, or reasons, relate to the front office and the lack of trust that he has with them. Which, wow, another person saying that the front office sucks. And this is a big-time player. Joakim Noah, despite his offensive lack of production, has been the heart and soul of the Bulls throughout his entire career. 
He spent. He was drafted by the Bulls. If you'll remember, obviously, played, you know, really well, honestly, under Tom Thibodeau, and now, as he entered the season with Hoiberg in his new system, it got off to a rough start right away. He wasn't able to play the type of basketball that he's used to under Thibodeau. Kind of changed the system around because you know he was more of a ball handling center who if you paid attention, was a very, very good passer. So they would often line him up at the top of the key around the free throw line, and then he would be the guy to set up the offense. And over and over again, you saw him dribble the ball up court, and a lot of people were like, no, don't do that. But he knew what he was doing. But now, you know, going into this season, he's coming off the bench, and that kind of hurt him. Well, it did hurt him a lot. Hurt the trust of between him and New coach Fred Hoiberg. It just it was off to a rocky start to begin with, and then he got hurt a lot, and then he tried to come back. He fought through injury, got hurt again, had to forced to miss the season. Yeah, like I said, he he wasn't able to score a lot. He was he was missing open layups and all that jazz. But what 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 concerns me more than the lack of production on offense is the value that he brings in other facets. He's going to be. He was the guy, as I mentioned. He was the guy in the locker room that I that was Joakim Noah's locker room. And then slowly but surely, it turned into not his anymore, which sucks for him and, quite frankly, for the entire organization. Because now, Jimmy Butler self-assumed himself as the leader of the Chicago Bulls, pretty much without anybody consenting him. He just straight up said, "Listen, this is my team. They signed me." They let Carmelo go and sign me because I'm the guy who could bring a championship to the Chicago Bulls. Well, you know, that kind of rubs people the wrong way. And the way he went about it, too, we're talking about Jimmy Butler, kind of hurt. You know, it's it wasn't a it wasn't a way a leader establishes himself as a leader. You know, you know, you 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 as a leader, you just do things and people follow your lead, and that's how you become a leader. You don't just say, I'm the leader. This is my team. Watch me do things on the court. You know, just give me the ball. I'm not going to freaking run your offense, Hoiberg. Just, you know, practice us harder. You're not practicing us harder. That's not a leader. Your leader is sitting on the bench, not providing quality minutes, and he's he's just got the back seat, and that sucks. It really does because Joe Kino, we saw it over the tenure of his career, heart and soul of this Bulls team. What we're losing in Joe Kim Noah is a big man. And that hurts because the Bulls don't have a big man. They're going to let Paul Gasol go. And if the Bulls try and re-sign him, Gasol is just going to walk regardless. Because why would anybody want to come back to this team? And now Joakim Noah's gone. So you have nobody. You have Cristiano Felicio, who I liked a lot. But he's nothing more than a backup center. I was very encouraged on how he played in his first season as a Bull. 23 years old. He provided... Some size down low. Was able to get rebounds. His offensive game needs some work, but he's not a starting center for your team, so they, they're going to have to look elsewhere. They're going to have to look in free agency, and I'll get into some of the names in a minute. But I still want to talk about this Joakim Noah thing because we saw it. We've been watching the Chicago... For as long as the Chicago Bulls have been run by John Paxson and Gar Foreman, we have seen... So many instances of incompetence. And I'm not, you could go back and listen to my first ever podcast. And I could, I talked about all the trades or, and the lack of execution in the free agents, uh, free agency period. 
I, I mentioned all of it, so I'm not going to get into it again. But we all know that these guys can't can't run this organization. They that this isn't going to happen. They walked right into a first round draft pick that fell right into their laps in Derrick Rose. And now, what is going on? What is the direction of this team? And you know what? Joakim Noah, for him to say that he has no trust in the front office, and for him to say he has a problem with the way Jimmy Butler asserted himself as the leader, there's something wrong going on here. And you know, many, if Joakim Noah thinks that way, other players have to think that way. And you have no chemistry in a locker room, you lose your biggest piece in the locker room, you're not going to have much success. And I don't care what you say, the value of players who are talented are enough to win a championship. No. There has to be some cohesion. There has to, They have to be a unit. Look at Golden State. Those guys play in unison. So, this hurts. This move hurts more than meets the eye. I'll tell you that right now. Because Joakim Noah does provide value. Joakim Noah provides what the Bulls lacked a lot last year. Last year... They had no energy. We saw it over and over and over again. How Fred Oiberg, post-game, would say, oh, there wasn't enough energy. We just need to play with more energy. This is, you know, we we had a good practice, but there was no energy on the court today. After they're giving up 30-point quarters consistently, they're not running back in transition. They're playing for the next offensive possession instead of playing on defense. So... There was no energy. Joakim Noah brings that. He also works very hard down low in getting rebounds and offensive rebounds. Another area where the Bulls lacked very, very muddily last year. They couldn't get a freaking board. And it was pathetic. And now Joakim Noah, who was their lifeblood on defense down low and was there hustling, getting boards, you know, consistently, he's going to, they're going to miss that. And honestly, if you really want, if the Bulls wanted to re-sign Noah, I'm sure they could have, and it would have been at a decent value too. They wouldn't have had to break the bank for this guy, obviously, especially with the injury history he's had. So this really hurts. This hurts. They don't, they're going to have to spend in free agency now. And I want to go back to Noah struggling on offense real quick because I think it did have to do with Hoiberg's offensive system. They weren't feeding to his skill strength, you know, his skill set. They weren't doing that. So there, you, we saw it. We saw Joakim Noah. We saw him have really, really good seasons under Thibodeau. But, you know, obviously he's getting older. He's a different player now, but he still provides value, and this sucks. This really does suck because the Bulls' front office is once again showing their incompetence. There's just no other way to say it. So let's look at the names that the Bulls may look at in free agency. They might have to draft the center. We'll see. I mean, they still have Bobby Portis and Taj Gibson for another season and Cristiano Felicio, but Bobby Portis isn't a five. You know, he he's a four, but he's more, you know, he's more of a stretch four because he doesn't play down low. He likes to shoot. He barely passes. I mean, we saw that, but that has nothing to do with being a stretch four. But what I'm saying is he's ra- he, he, he's rather... He's working on his game, which is fun. We saw it. Down low, he was able to do some things, but you saw him take that 12, 13, 14-foot jump shot, and he could hit it, sure, but like I said, they need a big man. They need a guy to complement Taj and Felicio. So who could it be? Al Horford, he's going to be 30. He's going to be unrestricted free agent. 
Hassan Whiteside, I really like him from the Miami Heat, but I'm sure Miami's going to try and re-sign him and going to give him what they think he deserves, which is a lot of money. And I don't know if the Bulls are going to be willing to dish that out. And regardless if they do, he'll probably just stay in Miami because why would they? Why wouldn't he? Why would he leave? It's a it's a beautiful city to live in. The Heat are pretty good this year. You know they made it to uh, pretty. Uh, they made a decent run in the playoffs. You know, so he could be a cornerstone of that franchise. And I don't know if he would like to leave. So we'll see what happens there. But he's a name. Andre Drummond. He's a restricted free agent. So you know Detroit has an opportunity to, to match any type of offer that other teams throw at him. And I I don't see him leaving either. Dwight Howard. God, no. Stay the hell away from Dwight Howard. No. Maybe Al Jefferson. He's getting he's getting old, but you know, he he provides some offensive value down in the uh center position. Overall, I'm just really disappointed once again with my Chicago Bulls as the front office can't do anything right. And they're allowing guys like Jimmy Butler to assert himself as the self-proclaimed leader and pretty much destroy a locker room. And then you have Derrick Rose, who, by the way, I want to bring this up as well, now that I brought up Derrick Rose. What the hell is going on with the Bulls medical staff? We saw it throughout the year. And we saw it throughout Derrick Rose's comeback, multiple comeback attempts. You know, multiple team doctors are saying, even with Jimmy Butler, yeah, they're good to go. Even with Taj Gibson, even with Joakim Noah, yeah, you're good to go, good to go, good to go. And then one guy comes out five minutes before the game or after shoot-around. They're like, yeah, nah, you know, he can't play. He's listening to his body, so we got to sit him. He's not ready to come back yet. What the hell? What what is going on in this franchise, man? I just don't understand. And, again, they're letting Derrick Rose do whatever the hell he wants. They're letting Jimmy Butler bash a hand-picked brand-new head coach a first week into the season. They're sitting on the sidelines as one of your best leaders and top talents in Joakim Noah is just getting thrown out. So, you know what? Forget it. I don't, you know what? I wouldn't, so the future of the Bulls, one more year of Derrick Rose, Taj Gibson's going to be gone after, unless they try and re-sign him after this year. It's his last year of his contract. Jimmy Butler's still got, Four years left on that five-year deal or whatever it was. So Jimmy Butler's going to be around for a while. I doubt that they try and trade him. And if they do try and trade him, you got to go after the Celtics' third pick in the lottery. But we'll see. I I doubt it. But, yeah, I just, you know, I don't know where the hell this team's going. And until Gar Paxson, you know, <laughs> Gar Pax, Gar Foreman and John Paxson are fired and... I never really call for the heads of GMs because I'm not that smart. I'm not the guy who undergoes everyday operations there. I don't, I'm not in there, you know, I don't see the everyday operations. But I, it doesn't take anybody with half a brain to understand that these two need to just get the hell out because there are, there are no help to this franchise. They're not going to help them at all. But all right, that's my Bulls rant. I had to get that in because anytime there's a chance for me to rip the Bulls, I'm going to, especially after they traded the freaking my favorite player of all time, Kirk Heinrich, twice. So, all right. That was my Bulls conversation. Hope you enjoyed that. I'm going to move on now to some MLB talk because it's the end of May already. I can't believe it. 
I can't freaking believe that the baseball season is already like 40 games in. Like this is more than that. This is just, this is nuts. It's flying already. And the Cubs are really good. I'm not going to talk about them because I talk about them enough. But I want to focus on the two Sox clubs in both the American leagues because, boy, things have changed. As the season began, I'm going to start with the Red Sox. I really didn't think that they had enough to be a top contender in the American League. More specifically, I didn't even think they would be a threat in the AL East. But, boy, am I eating a big old piece of humble pie because they're three games up on the Orioles as of May 26th. And they've shown that their lineup is good. Damn good. I'm very impressed. Especially, it was a funny thing too because... Pablo Sandoval was a major signing a few couple years ago, but he's just been awful. Now he's out for the year. He's probably gonna, they're going to try and move him, but I doubt anybody's going to want to take him. But we'll see what happens with them. Travis Shaw, their third baseman, lefty bat, 26 years old, has really done some good things for the Red Sox this season. They have a strong middle of the infield as well as a center fielder who's on a 30-game hit streak. Pretty much. Jackie Bradley Jr. is absolutely killing it this season. Xander Bogart's one of the best shortstops in the game. Dustin Pedroia, we know who he is. And Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts reminds me a lot of freaking Andrew McCutcheon. And I know that might be a little bit of a stretch, but he's doing a lot of good things there in Boston. So, man, good, good, good on them. I was looking at their rotation, and that this is the biggest question mark I had with the Red Sox going into 2016, but, you know, David Price hasn't even been the David Price of old, but Clay Buckholt has been bad, and Joe Kelly's terrible, but still, Buckholt is, I'm sorry, Price is the guy that you can rely on in big games. He, he is an ace. He's solidified that in his career. He is an ace. But Stephen Wright, this freaking... 30 or 31 year old knuckleballer is coming on and having an unbelievable season for the Red Sox. He's got a 252 ERA and a 208 batting average against and a 110 whip in 60 and two thirds innings this season. He's got two complete games. I mean, you can't. What's up with Boston and their knuckleballers, man? This is just, it's awesome. It's awesome. Stephen Wright's doing great. And Rick Porcello. Rick Porcello's having a bounce-back season, a much, much needed bounce-back season. If there was a player who needed one as badly as this guy, you know, it, good for him because signed that big-time deal and sucked last year. was awful. But he's been a big part of their success. He's got a 3-4-7 ERA and a 109 whip this season. Strikeout numbers are still there. They're good. And... I like the Red Sox. I, I'm, I'm a believer now. I, will, I picked the Blue Jays in my preseason predictions because of their lineup, mostly, but I didn't take into effect of how their rotation would struggle as much. But Jay Happ, if we talk about the Blue Jays real quick, and Marcus Stroman, those two guys have combined to be one of the best rotation pieces in baseball. I know Happ's been knocked around a little bit lately, but still. Ari Dickey's terrible. I mean, that's obvious he's just bad but Marco Estrada's good Aaron Sanchez is good you know they just they 
Their their lineup, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the Blue Jays. They're a little disappointing, but I still think that they're that rotation's still good enough for them to be in the mix come August at the very least. But yeah, good good job, Red Sox. Look at this bounce back season by the Red Sox. Last place last year. Now they're in first. And you know what? They they tend to do that. They they know what they're doing there in Boston, kind of. On the other side of the shoe is a White Sox team that has started off really well. They were 17 and 8 in April, but quickly saw their AL Central lead disappear. Right now, they are point five games ahead of the Indians in the AL Central, and boy, I if I'm a White Sox fan, I'm kind of worried because it doesn't it, it it doesn't really I don't know with this team, I just don't see the consistency that suggests that they're going to be as good as they were to start the season. You know, as the start at the start of April and kind of through mid May. They're they're falling off a bit. And I know teams go through stretches and everybody was on their high horse when they were really good and now they're kind of panicking when they're bad, but I think there's legitimate reason to to worry here. Because what do they have? Two legit starters. Everybody else is a question mark. Chris Sale and Jose Quintana. Carlos Rodon, everybody considered him to be really, you know, a dominant piece that they could rely on day in and day out going into the season, especially since the patterns that he showed at the end of la- at the second half of last season. He's got a 4.47 ERA and 1.47 whip. And that's not good enough. He's got to be better. Strikeouts are there about a strikeout per inning, but if you want to rely on Carlos Rodon as your three starter, he's got to be better. Straight up. They let go of Danks, which was a good move. They had to get him out of the rotation, but they really don't have a backup plan for him in that fifth spot. Tim Lincecum went to the Angels. So, I mean, whether or not they were the White Sox were serious about signing him is still a question mark, but Matt Latos and Miguel Gonzalez are your four and five. Matt Latos was outstanding in April, but obviously, I mean, we all saw it coming. He had to come back to earth. Kind of struggling now. And Miguel Gonzalez, he's doing enough as a fifth starter, quite frankly. And I think you rely on him more so than anybody else, any other option that the White Sox have. Eric Johnson, not going to cut it. So stick with Gonzalez for now. You bring up a guy who might be able to start in place when maybe Scott Carroll pitches a sixth day or whatever, but boy, I'm kind of worried about this White Sox team. I was excited that they were able to upgrade at the catcher's position, but they are getting absolutely no production offensively from Avila and Navarro. It's kind of it's kind of sad. So that sucks for them. But I mean, they still got they. I like their lineup. I I really do. Their their, their lineup is good enough for them to compete throughout the season, and they're going to make it tough because hell, the AL Central is a freaking crapshoot. Any anybody could win it, besides the Twins. I'm even giving the Tigers a chance. I was high on the Tigers in a previous podcast, but at the same time, I'm I'm really not. Who knows? With that lineup, they, they got to be consistent throughout the season. And I mean, they just have no pitching or no bullpen. That's that's the thing with the Tigers, and with the Royals, I think the Royals are starting to kind of get into that regression mode. You see, with small market teams, you know, they have their they have their players. 
they're young players that they developed and they have, you know, good seasons. I mean, this freaking team went to the World Series twice, won one. But maybe now they're in a regression period. So it's time for the Indians and White Sox to come up and take control. But what's going on with the White Sox is the it's their pitching. In April, they had a 2.72 ERA. In May, it's almost at four. And that has a lot to do with Rodon, Latos, and Gonzalez struggling. Even Quintana's given up more than three runs in a start, which is unlike him. And he's still really not getting much run support, which has just been the story of his career. Chris Sale's been been great. He lost his first game, I think his last start. He went four and two-thirds or something like that. He's nine and one. I think this guy's going to win the AL Cy Young. He really, what he's shown so far is, has just been phenomenal. His adjustments that he's made, not throwing as hard, making a point of being more, you know, acting as like a finesse pitcher sometimes, and then you can just rear back and throw a 98 mile hour fastball whenever you want to. That's a plus. So you have a Cy Young ace and a very, very good number two. Other than that, with the White Sox, it's just kind of up in the air. Their lineup, their lineup's okay. Their lineup will do well. I think Brett Lowry was a very good signing. Todd Frazier has been expected, I believe. He's hitting home runs, driving in runs, but, you know, I think a, a pleasant surprise has been Avi Garcia. He's picked it up lately, but still, White Sox got to figure it out. They're pitching, man. I don't know what they're going to do with that pitching staff. 252 average against in May compared to a 225 in April. Their lineup is actually hitting better in April. As the, as the weather warms up, their, their bats are too. But it's still not enough because their pitching staff has been letting them down. So in the AL Central, as I said, the White Sox are up half a game on the Indians. And I'm, I'm, I'm liking the Indians a lot. I'm, I'm rooting for the Indians to win the AL Central, even though I picked the Royals in my preseason predictions. I'm, I'm rooting for the Indians. I like them a lot. Lindor, I could argue, as the best shortstop in baseball. Next to, well, defensively, it's Andrelton Simmons and Carlos Correa. But I would I would argue that Lindor's right up there with both of them. And if you add in his offensive value, uh, he could be the very best in baseball. And he's super young. So, go Indians. Just wanted to get that in there. Kind of an Indians fan. But yeah, White Sox, kind of concerning over their starting rotation. We'll see how it plays out. I know that's a cop-out little way to end this conversation, but I don't know. I'm worried about the White Sox a little bit, and it's the end of May, so it'll be. I want to see where they go when the trade deadline approaches near the end of July, because that'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be a fun trade deadline, because there's no starting pitchers going uh, in the free agency next year. There's none. So, all the trades are going to happen now. We're going to see a lot of moving parts. Maybe James Shields, you know, they're going to have to give up Tim Anderson or somebody big like that, but if you're going for it, might as well. All right, so those are those are some MLB thoughts for today. Talked about the Red Sox a little bit, and the White Sox as well. And as always, I got to end, well, not end it, but as always, I got to mention the Chicago Bears because my team. And I kind of want to get into their depth in the wide receiver position because this season they have so many weapons. It's like, it's like, yes, yes, I'm so happy because we saw it last year. Alshon Jeffrey was he was scuffed up a lot. He couldn't stay on the field, and that was a major reason why the Bears were forced to franchise him. And then, of course, your first-round draft pick, seven overall, Kevin White, had to miss the entire season, but that's okay because 
I really, truly believe that Kevin White is going to be the next big, consistently dominant, reliable wide receiver in the NFL. I think he's going to be fantastic. And he hasn't even freaking taken a snap. But from what I've read, a lot of the positional coaches are ecstatic about his work ethic. He's doing a lot of good things. OTAs have started, guys. Training camp's right around the corner. But as I said, you know, he worked, he fought back from that shin surgery. And if people are concerned about Kevin White and like that particular injury, don't be. There's a freaking steel rod in his shin. That's not going to break. He's going to be fine there. It's, he even said that it feels better than before. So we're good. Don't worry about that. It's just if he's able to stay healthy and do things that we expect him to do, like catch the freaking football. <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm so excited because they have more depth at the wide receiver position than they've had in a long time. You know, Alshon Jeffrey. I oh man, if we talk about Jeffrey a little bit and the the, the concerns that we have over him, he's in a new he's in a new program where he's able to you know, get his body into the right shape that will be able for him to stay on the field. They need him to stay on the field. It's plain and simple. And if he does that, he's going to make a lot of money next season. And as much as I want to see Alshon Jeffrey stay, it's going to be tough because are the Bears going to be willing to dish out that kind of money? That remains to be seen. But... It's obvious that Cutler and Jeffrey have this connection that Jeff Cutler can just throw it up to Jeffrey and, you know, I would say like six out of ten times he'll go up and grab it. That back shoulder throw, it's by design, people. It, it's a thing of beauty. You know, he stops on a dime and comes back to the football, and it's it's a great sight. Kevin White, though, can he step in if Jeffrey's gone? Can he be that number one guy? And I think he can be. This is going to be a big year for, for Kevin White. And I I truly believe that he can be a guy that can be relied on as that number one threat. As a number two, holy cow, that might be the best one-two duo in football. And again, he hasn't even taken a snap. But Kevin White's the real deal, people. You'll see it. And I think a lot of people agree that they're very excited about Kevin White. And he's going to be good. Another wide receiver... That adds to the depth is Eddie Royal. Eddie Royal's more of a slot guy. He's he's kind of that comfort zone for Cutler in the slot. So he again has to be on the field. Damn it, he's got to he's just got to not get hurt. And I know it was frustrating for him last year. We saw it, but he's just got to be able to stay on the field. Mark Mariani, he was he he developed a good chemistry with Cutler as well. And then this Daniel Braverman guy. Seventh-round draft pick. I think he's going to provide tremendous value. He's got speed. He reminds me of Johnny Knox a little bit. He's super fast. Johnny Knox was a very late-round draft pick. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was a seventh-round pick. And I think they were able to get him in the uh, Cutler deal. That's who ended up being the draft pick that the Bears were. It was something like that. But you guys can check me on it. You can bash me if I'm wrong. But Braverman, he can provide value in special teams as well as play in the slot and stretch the field. This guy's so fast. And he, I bet you, oh, I, if I was a betting man, which I might be, they would probably put him in a screen uh, pass position in a lot of uh, scenarios. So the, you know, we saw it last year in the new Cutler-Adam uh, Gase system that's pretty much going to be pushed on to Dow Loggins, who Dow Loggins, I believe, is a capable offensive coordinator. 
and I think he's going to work with Cutler. And I know there's going to be tweaks here and there, but it's pretty much going to essentially be the same philosophy. So you don't have to rely on Cutler to you know air it out every single down. And they have, I'm kind of getting off topic because I was going to mention their their use of the three uh, line, uh, running backs and Langford, Carey, and Howard. But you know, just had to mention that. But yeah, in the screen pass game, that's going to be there. We saw it last year. Eddie Royal will be there. We saw screen passes to Alshon Jeffrey. I'm sure Kevin White's going to have some. Even Deontay Thompson, he's fast. And I didn't even mention Marquise Wilson, who's probably the fastest guy on the team. It's going to be exciting, guys. I'm really excited about the offensive weapons that the Chicago Bears have, and they have a capable quarterback to get the ball to them consistently. And I'm going to say it again. I think the Bears can make the playoffs next year. Let's do it. I'm I'm so excited. I am so excited for football. But I am enjoying the baseball season because my Chicago Cubs are killing it still. They are still the best team in baseball. And I love saying that. So I'm sorry if you're getting sick and tired of hearing it, but got to do it. Got to do it, especially when they haven't well, been good in a long time. All right. Anyway, 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 I'm going to wrap up this podcast by saying thank you all for listening and following and commenting and sharing it's been awesome being able to talk sports with you every week i'm happy to be back i enjoyed my time in florida but nothing beats home right there's no place like home if you want to follow us on twitter and snapchat which i don't know why you wouldn't you really should it's at most valuable pod subscribe to our youtube channel at most valuable podcast and again if you would like to become a patreon where you where you just donate a dollar two dollars hell ten dollars a month Boy, that would be really nice. But it's just a little little thing for us to provide better content for you. It just helps us do more things here in Most Valuable Podcasts. It would be awesome. You guys get exclusive content if you do subscribe and become a Patreon. If not, that's cool. I'm, you know, whatever. It's all right. Kind of hurts my feelings, but we're good. We're all good. Anyway, thank you all for listening once again. I hope you all have a terrific week, and I will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.